Philemon. Uh, it's page 712 if you're using the, the, the Bibles there in the, in the chairs. Uh, if you don't know where Philemon is, and many people don't, uh, it is after what I call the T-books. For 2 Thessalonians, for 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews. So if you find any of the T-books in the New Testament or Hebrews, it's in between all that. Uh, Philemon is just a few, um, few verses. But I remember the first time that I read, I remember reading the book of Philemon back many, many, many years ago. I, I remember reading it and thinking, wow, that was kind of odd. And I, I was a little perplexed by it. And I went to my pastor at the time and I said, I said, hey, you know, I just read the book of Philemon and, and it, 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 to me it doesn't sound like a, a, a normal part of the Bible. It sounds like uh, a letter between two friends. And he said, that's exactly what it is. It is a letter between two friends. Uh, and <clears throat> so that piqued my interest. So I went back and read it again and again. And, and it, it, is, it is only one chapter. Uh, but the impact of this book uh, can be amazing in your life. If you would only let it. I personally believe that when Paul was writing this letter to his friend, Philemon, that Paul, well, let, let, let me back up. I, I, I believe that when Paul was penning many of his letters, I, I believe that Paul knew in his heart that God was going to put it in the canon of Scripture. Does that make sense? Um, I, I just think Paul knew that somehow. I, I don't know why. But I, again, this is my opinion. When Paul was writing to the, this letter to Philemon, I don't believe Paul realized that it would be in the canon of Scripture. Does that make sense? Because, again, I think it was just Paul writing a letter to a, a dear friend, but God wanted us to see this letter. Because this is a precious letter. Now, there are three... Uh, characters, if you would, in the book of Philemon. Obviously, Paul is the author of the of the of the letter. Uh, Philemon is the recipient of the letter, and then there's a guy named Onesimus. <clears throat> Paul, at the time of authoring this letter, is in prison. He is a, he is a prisoner in Rome. Philemon lived in a city uh, named Colossae. Uh, Colossae is the uh, is uh, uh, the church of uh, that. Well, uh, we'll, we'll get to we'll, we'll get to it later. Um, excuse me, but there's a human link between Paul and Philemon, and it's this it's this guy named Onesimus. Onesimus, uh, uh, from what we can tell through the book of Philemon. Uh, we know he's a slave, okay, uh, that, that, is, that is brought out here, but the, the details and, and how all of this comes to play is, is kind of obscure. We don't know all the details of, uh, of, of 
the, the interaction between the three people, <clears throat> but we know that Onesimus was a slave owned by Philemon. The, 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 okay, you got that. Okay, because this is this is this is important that 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 we understand this. So, I, uh, uh, Philemon is a wealthy landowner that owns a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus, apparently, from the from reading between the lines of the book, has committed a crime against the uh, his owner, uh, Philemon. So, <clears throat> again, we don't know what the crime was, but he takes off and he, and he goes to Rome. Uh, we're assuming that uh, Onesimus is trying to blend in, if you would, to a large population center so that he could hide from the long arm of the law, if you would. <clears throat> now, the providence of God brings Onesimus into contact with Paul. Now, again, we don't know how this happens. We have to assume that they met in prison because where was Paul? He was in prison. Now, you know that that's the assumption, that's the first assumption that I draw is that somehow they met in prison. We don't know. We're not told how they meet. Uh, he uh, Onesimus uh, may have had a job feeding the prisoners, and and he would I, or he was an an inmate, and in we we don't know. Um, but we do know that the providence of God brings. Onesimus into contact with Paul. Paul then shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Onesimus gets saved and his life drastically changes. Okay? So we those things we do know. Uh, another thing that we know is that the law permitted a slave owner to put to death a runaway slave. But Philemon is a godly man. So as we kind of read through the, the book of Philemon, it's, it's, it's important that you kind of understand the, the mechanics of what's going on there. Because the, the reality is, as a slave owner, Philemon, if he were to totally forgive and absolve and set free Onesimus, what would the rest of his slaves want? Okay. Uh, and then also, what would, what would the other slave, then the, then the other slave owners would get mad because now the, you, you see the, the scenario. Uh, <clears throat> so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, moving parts, if you would, to this story. The title of my message this morning is The uh, Evidence of Love. 
evidence of love. Let's start reading. Philemon, you you picked a chapter. Okay, I don't care what chapter. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and, Timoth- and Timothy, uh, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow, uh, fellow laborer, and to our beloved uh, Af- Aphrii, and Archip, uh, Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the knowledge of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much uh, for this day. Thank you for the book of Philemon and the, the, the precious, precious truths that are found buried deep in this book. Help us, dear God, this morning to glean just a few of these truths. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now let me let me say this. I want to I want to encourage you to do this. Um, spend some time in the book of Philemon. Uh, now, th- this morning, I'm basically going to give you a, 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 an overview uh, of the entire book. But honestly, if you were to read this book over and over and over and over and over, this book can change your life. Uh, there is There are so many truths buried in this book that that you know we oftentimes and, and again we 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 found this with with Esther oftentimes we read we get so consumed with the story that we forget to look between the between the 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 verses between the lines so to speak and allow the spirit of god to speak to our hearts so that that there again that's another free commercial for you in verse 2 uh, we see that the church of Colossae, it meets in Philemon's house. Okay, so again, uh, it is assumed because he's a slave owner and that the, the church meets in his house, that he was probably a very wealthy landowner, had a good-sized home, and so on and so forth. But in verse 2, it says, To our, our beloved um, uh, Archipea and Archippus uh, uh, and our fellow labor, our fellow soldiers, excuse me, and to the church in thy house. Well, who's he writing to? He's writing to Philemon. So the word thy is a personal pronoun identifying Philemon as the person who's, who, who, uh, whose house the church is meeting in. So here we see that <clears throat> Paul is writing to Philemon, but 
Paul had never been to Colossae. In, in, in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul is writing again to the church of Colossae in, in Colossians. That's the book of Colossians is Paul writing to the church of Colossae. But Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For I would that ye know what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, for, and for as many as I have not seen <clears throat> my face in the flesh. So Paul had never been to Colossae. Paul had, Paul, so, so, okay, let, let, let's go back to the book of Philemon. Go to chapter 19, uh, or chapter 19. Verse 19, excuse me. Again, you can pick the chapter, just verse 19. <clears throat> verse 19, it says, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. Uh, I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou uh, owest unto me even thine own self besides. So if you, if you look at verse 19, Paul is, is writing... And, and the way he words this is that Paul is responsible for Philemon's salvation. He's saying, basically what he's saying is, he's saying, hey, look, um, I will repay it, but you owe me a debt too. It's kind of how he's saying it. So again, we, we don't know how, because Paul had never been to Colossae, but... Paul knew Philemon personally. And you can tell in the, in, the, in the writing of the book that Paul is not writing to a stranger, but to somebody that he knows. But he'd never been to Colossae. Again, the providence of God moving parts and people around trying to understand and, 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 and you know, there, there are a lot of details here that we don't know, but there are a lot of details that we do know. And that is that Paul, <clears throat> even though he'd never been there, had met Philemon and probably had been the one who led him to Christ. So as we look at the book of Philemon, I, I really want you to, to I pick up and identify two purposes for the book of Philemon. Because, and actually, there, there are a, a couple of more, but these are, to me, the, the two most prominent. And that is, number one, the practical purpose. The practical purpose for the book of Philemon. The practical purpose of the book of Philemon is to teach us brotherly love. Brotherly love. In the first seven verses that we read, we see that Paul expresses love for his fellow believers and his his uh, typical introduction and in saying, "Okay, you know, I'm I'm here with so and so and blah 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 blah." <clears throat> but uh, that that was pretty customary for for Paul to uh, to start every letter with. But look at verse seven. At the end of verse 7, <clears throat> he, he says something 
to Philemon, and he says, The bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee. So he he identifies Philemon in chapter 7 as being a refreshing believer. And and we could park right there. There's a whole sermon right there. We need to be Philemon's. That characteristic should be evident in each and every one of us. When when we're around fellow believers, we should be lifting them up and pointing them to Christ, not dragging them down. So he's identified as a refreshing believer. Let's let's look at verse 8 and following. He says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, that which is convenient. Yet, for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, <clears throat> being such and one as Paul, uh, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for thy son Onesimus, for I have begotten in my bonds, which in times past was to thee unprofitable but now profitable to thee and to me. For I have sent again, uh, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, for I would have retained with me uh, that in thy stead ye might have manifest unto me in my bonds, excuse me, ministered unto me in my bonds, Uh, of the gospel, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of a necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou uh, shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially uh, to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Here we see Paul interceding on behalf of Onesimus. We really get in verse 9, we see the heart of Paul for I believe his purpose for writing the letter. The first part of the letter, uh, Paul always introduces and you know does his normal thing. But in verse 9, he's getting down, and, and Onesimus, when he's reading the letter, he's probably thinking, okay, Paul, I understand now why you're writing me. Look at verse 9. Yet... For love's sake, I rather beseech thee. I want you to underline, if you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline the four words, yet for love's sake. Think about that. Let let that phrase sink in. 
basically what it, Paul is saying in verse 8, he, he starts off by saying, you know what? <clears throat> I, could, I could have probably written you a letter saying, hey, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to tell you, look, you need to let me have Onesimus because he's profitable to me. Yet for love's sake... What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, look, the, the most important thing at play in all of this is love. Yet for love's sake. It is estimated, at least to the best of my ability, that 60 million slaves were in the, uh, the, the Roman Empire at the time. 60 million slaves. The average slave sold for 500 uh, denarii. A den one denarii, or, or a denarius, or uh, I forget however you say it, one was the average day's wages for a, for a, uh, for a, uh, a manual labor kind of person they would normally sell for 500 denarii. Now, Roman law was such that if a slave could pay the price that he was bought for, then he, the, 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 the owner had to sell him. Now, how in the world a slave could gain that kind of money, I don't know, but that's how the Roman law was written. So if a slave could raise the money, then <clears throat> he could be set free or, or, or had to be set free. Paul uses in the passage that we just read several arguments, if you would, strong arguments of why Philemon needed to release Onesimus from his obligation of being a slave. The first one we see in verse 8. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ <clears throat> to be enjoined uh, uh, thee, that which is convenient. In other words, what he's saying is he's really going back to verse 7 and he's saying, look, In verse 7, he's, he calls him, what, a refreshing believer. And, and in verse 8, what he's saying is, look, hey, you know what? You are a blessing to a lot of people. How about considering being a blessing again? Oftentimes, we fall short of the constant idea of being a blessing to others. We, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's easy to be a blessing to people that you like, is it not? But what is, what is Paul trying to communicate to, uh, to Philemon here? You know what? Not only did this slave run away, but he committed a crime when he ran away. But you know what? 
it's not convenient for you to be a blessing on this account, but you know what? It'd be a really good idea if you were. The second argument, if you would, we see in verse 10, I beseech thee, my son Onesimus, uh, excuse me, for my son Onesimus, for I have begotten him in my bonds. So what, what is Paul saying is, hey, he is my son in the faith. So that means, Philemon, that your relationship with him has changed. He's not only your servant, but he's your brother. That, that again, you, you've got to understand the, the, the culture. That is a major shift in thinking in the culture. Because there was no middle class. You had the very, very rich and the very, very poor. And, and there was nothing in between. And now Paul is throwing a, a monkey wrench into this whole thinking. Wait a minute. He's my brother in the faith? Not only is he a criminal, but he's my slave. Can you imagine what Paul, what, what Philemon is thinking? Paul, and, 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 and you, as you read through this, you, you, you know, hopefully you, you, you'll see this, Paul never excuses what Onesimus did. He never tries to make an excuse. He never tries to uh, 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 circumvent the legal aspect of this whole argument. He, he never tries to, to get Philemon to do something illegal or immoral. But he's trying to get a fellow believer to think like Christ would think. The next argument we see is from 11 to verse, uh, verse 11 to verse 14. And, and he, basically what Paul says is he's profitable to me. He was, he, he was unprofitable to you. He ran away. He stole from you or whatever. He was unprofitable to you, but to me he is profitable. And then he goes on saying, if you will allow him, he will be profitable to you and to the cause of Christ. Why? Because, praise God, he's a different man. Praise God for that. And as I, as I have read this book over and over and over and, and I've thought about it, you know, praise God. I'm not saying I'm a profitable person because I make a lot of mistakes. But through Christ, I have become more profitable in my life than before. Before I was saved, honestly, and, and I'm not, I, I, I mean this well, Mark, I wasn't worth shooting. I was a drunk. I, 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 it, my life was spinning out of control. But Christ has made me profitable. 
Paul's, Paul makes reference. I don't know if you picked it up, but he says, he says I'm an old man uh, in, in, in that section. And, and Paul at this time is in his 60s. Now, I'm almost 60. And I, I th- I'm thinking, man, 60 is not old. It's the new, it's the new 20. Are you kidding? <clears throat> 60 is not old. But Paul, but Paul is saying, but Paul is saying, look, I'm an old man. I need help. Now, you've got to understand the context of what Paul's writing. He's in prison. How many times had Paul been beaten? Multiple times. How many times had he been stoned? He was stoned to death three times. But God raised him up three times. Now, you know, now, hey, God gives grace to, for us to do things beyond our power. But you cannot endure what Paul endured and not be an old man at 60. Just saying. Okay, he, he probably looked like he was 120. <laughs> he probably felt like he was 150. And he's saying, look, I need Onesimus. I need a young man like Onesimus. I can't keep doing it on my own. Warren Wiersbe, as I was doing my study, he, I, I found an interesting quote from uh, Warren Wiersbe. He, he said this, he said, Paul loved Onesimus and would have kept him in Rome as a fellow believer, but he did not want to tell Philemon what to do. Okay, now this is important because when Paul writes this letter and sends it to Philemon, guess who goes with the letter? Onesimus does. Onesimus is carrying this letter to Philemon. So Paul did not want to tell Onesimus what to do. What he was trying to do was help him make a good decision. And then uh, Warren Risby goes on to say this, and this is, this is really key right here. Voluntary sacrifice and service motivated by love is what the Lord wants from his children. Let's go back to what was it? Verse 7? No, verse 9. Yet for love's sake. Why was Paul trying to do all this? Because he not only loved Onesimus, but he loved Philemon. And he wanted Philemon to let Onesimus go so that he could come back to Rome and serve with Paul. But he wanted him to do it voluntarily for the right reason. And way too often, we in our lives, we will make good and right choices, but we'll do it for selfish reasons. And Paul was so concerned with that. The last argument we see in verses 15 and 16, and I just want to read the first two words uh, in verse 15, for perhaps. Key words, for perhaps. What was he saying to Philemon? He said, you know what? I'm not telling you what to do, and I'm not telling you it's the will of God that you let him let him go, 
But don't you think it's a little strange that you owned a slave, he he treated you wrong, he, whatever he did, stole, most theologians believe he stole from him. He comes to Rome, I'm in prison, I meet him and lead him to Christ, Christ changes his life. You think that might could have been part of God's plan? If that isn't a picture of the providence of God working in the affairs of men, I I don't know what is. But at this point, Paul puts forth a solution. Because the problem is, in the the, the last several verses that we read, kind of identifies the problem. and And he's giving... Philemon options to the problem, but then he gives them a solution. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Let's read in, in, in verses 17 and following. Uh, if thou count me, therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or owe thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. Now, why is that so significant? Why why is Paul writing it with his own hand so important? That way, okay, Philemon knows it came from Paul, but Paul, again, most theologians believe Paul had an, uh, an eye problem. So most of his letters were not, written by him, but they were dictated. But the fact that Paul actually wrote this letter to Philemon by his own hand, again, shows the sincerity and the love that he has for Philemon and Onesimus. In, in very important part. Uh, I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how Thou uh, owest unto me even thine own self besides. Again, that's an indicator that Paul probably led him to Christ at some time. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in the obedience I, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that uh, though uh, your prayers, but excuse me, through, through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. In other words, in verse 22, what he's saying is, I've never been to Colossae, but I believe through your prayers I will eventually make it there. And to my knowledge, I don't think he ever does. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow servant in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Archippus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Verse 17, there's an interesting word. Go back to verse 17 says, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive. Receive him as myself. 
the word receive there is not just saying, hey, come on in. But it literally means to receive as part of the family. Now, put yourself in that culture in that time. If Paul had ever been able to go to Colossae, he walked up and knocked on Philemon's door. How do you think Philemon, a wealthy landowner, would have treated Paul? Like royalty. I mean, he would have brought him in, you know, put him in the best room. Paul, Philemon and his wife more than likely would have moved out of their living quarters and put Paul in there. And literally, what Paul is telling Philemon is, you need to do that to Onesimus. Wow. A slave that cheated me, robbed from me, whatever. You want me to do what? What an incredible picture. I need to hurry. I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking too much. Another thing that he, another word that he uses in that, in that verse 17 is the word partner. It is literally what Paul is, is doing is he is offering to engage in a financial partnership with Paul or, or with Philemon. So this is a, uh, a, a financial partnership, a business partnership, if you would, uh, with Philemon and Paul to solve the problem of Onesimus. Now, it is really important that you get a hold of this because it says, put it on my account. I will pay it. Now, <clears throat> if you don't get anything, get this. What is Paul saying? Paul is telling Philemon, hey, Whatever the damages are, financial, I will pay it. But it goes further. It is also including the damages that if, hey, if the punishment, whatever, whatever it was that Onesimus did, if, if that deserves a scourging and financial compensation, I will take the scourging and pay the debt. So the debt that he's talking about is not just monetary. It is all-inclusive. Hey, if, if I have to go to prison to pay the debt, I will pay the debt. That is true friendship. That's what friends do. I need to hurry. <clears throat> the primary purpose, point number two. We've seen, I, I've given you hopefully the practical purpose. I hope you, I hope you get an under, a, a grasp on, on, on what Paul's trying to communicate, the need to be true friends in Christ. But then the, the primary purpose. The primary purpose is, is to show the love of Christ to mankind. To show the love of Christ to mankind. Verse 9 again, for love's sake. For love's sake. 
the providence of God is all through this book. What an incredible scenario that Paul and Onesimus meet from a friend of theirs that is miles away. That is the providence of God. Back in 1979, I went in the United States Navy and I went to boot camp. Yippee. That was, you know, it wasn't actually wasn't that bad. But anyway, I went to boot camp. After boot camp, I went to what they call A school, where I actually learned a trade that I was going to do in the Navy. And we got about, I don't know, about halfway through A school. How, how many of you guys in the military? Just, just really, several guys. You, you know what I'm about to say. We get about halfway through our, our training, uh, A school training, and they gave us what they call a dream sheet. And, and, and when they gave, it, gave me the dream sheet, they gave it to us. They said, now, you have to pick at least one stateside billet. You need, and and the, the particular job that I did, <clears throat> we had to pick at least one tender. And other than that, you can pick anything you want, anywhere in the world you want. And I mean, this is a piece of paper like this. Everything I picked was Guam, Japan, you know, Korea, everything in the, you know, I, I wanted to try, I, you know, at the time the slogan was join the Navy and see the world, okay? <clears throat> I put a, a, a Guam, I put a tender in Guam, thinking, hey, if I, if I get stuck on a tender, at least it'll be overseas. I picked Charleston, South Carolina, mainly because I didn't know where it was. Had no idea. <laughs> Everything, though, tin cans and, you know, I wanted to travel. But the only thing I didn't write down is submarine. I did not want a submarine. So what did they do? All my, all my buddies, everybody, everybody in my graduating class went to, the, to, to the, what, what is called the Westpac. Everybody went there except me. They sent me to Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and they put me on a submarine tender. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. But see, through all that, I, the reason I'm telling you this is because through all that, and I don't have time to tell you how, but through a random, totally random set of circumstances, I met a guy named Joe. Joe about six months later, would lead me to Christ. Well, let me rephrase that. He would be instrumental in me getting saved. A guy named Mike, who I had never met before, was the one who actually led me to Christ. That is the providence of God. And besides, I I got the best thing in the world out of it. I got my sweet wife. Because we would have never met. We would have never met. But see how the providence of God works. And every time I read this story and I think of these three characters, how God moved all the people, I think of how I found that love of God. Verse 17. 
If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. The word receive, again, means to bring into the family circle. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many receive him, who? Jesus Christ. To them gave he power to be the what? Sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Look at verse 18. If he hath wronged thee or owe thee aught, put it on put that on mine account. What did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He paid for my sins. And Christ, the day I got saved, June 23rd, 1980, on board the USS Frank Cable, Jesus Christ went before God and said, God, whatever it is, I paid the price for it. And not only do you need to forgive him, but you need to receive him as you would receive me. Think about that. In theological terms, we call that the theology of imputation or to impute. And when if, if you are sitting here this, this morning and you have been saved, then you have been imputed into the family of God because of what Christ did for you on the cross. Isn't that an incredible picture of the love of Christ for this world? Not only now now again, go back to what Paul was saying. I will pay, I will pay the debt. Not only financially, but whatever it takes to fulfill the debt. Why do you think Christ had to die for you? Because we could not pay our own debt. And there was no way Onesibus could pay his own debt. Paul had to do it for him. Just like Jesus Christ has to do it for us. John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My children, write these things. <clears throat> excuse me, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that, that come unto God by him, seeing he liveth to make intercession for us. Imputation. What an incredible word. And that is exactly what Paul was doing for Onesimus. He was imputing himself in place of Onesimus so that the debt could be paid. And Jesus Christ has done the very thing, same thing for us. In the human heart, I believe 
that God has planted a seed of freedom. I believe that every person that has ever been born has a burning desire to be free. Our country was founded on that principle of a burning desire to be free. But I'm here to tell you this morning, millions of Americans across our land are in slavery. They are enslaved to their lifestyles, their addictions, to the almighty dollar. And I could go on and on and on. They're, they're toys. There are many kinds of addictions that hold people captive, enslaved to them. See, freedom is not condition of our society. It is a condition of the heart. John chapter 8, verse 36, If my son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I'm here to tell you that Christians in China are freer than unbelievers in America today. Freedom has nothing to do with our society, but has everything to do with the condition of our hearts. And Jesus Christ imputed himself on the cross. He put himself on the cross. Nobody killed him. He gave his life. He gave his life so that you and I could be free. Luke chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I'll be done. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus, in one of his visits to Nazareth, goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and, and they hand him the book of Isaiah, or, or uh, actually Isaiah, it's the book of Isaiah. And, and, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and, to, and, and recovering of the sight of the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. Let me ask you a question. Are you free this morning? Christ imputed himself for you. He put himself on the cross for you. What an incredible love story the book of Philemon is. Not only is it a love story between three friends, but it is an incredible parallel love story of the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ for mankind. That is why the book of Philemon is in the Bible. To remind us of the love of Christ for you and for me.